1077 The Bone, Bimbo Jimbo, Baby Huey, and Chasta. And we have in our midst, live in our face, in studio, we have a world champion wrestler, a best-selling author. He's He's got the king of the podcast world going on. He's the Ayatollah of rock and Rolla with Fozzie, who is going to be at Slims tonight. Slimspresents.com for your tickets. And he makes me want to pop a little bit of the bubbly. Chris Jericho, welcome. Jeez, man. Calm down. I always love coming here with Bimbo, Jimbo, and Baby Huey. It sounds like, <laughs> sounds like a gay porn website. <laughs> I, I was just talking with one of our producers here that he was calling somebody Senor Wang, and I was like, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good porn website, Senor Wang's. What? Bring him into our crew. What yeah. are you talking about? Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Always, always a pleasure. It's funny because uh, I just changed my phone recently, so I was getting some texts with... Uh, with the man over here. I don't know if you're allowed to say what your real name is. Yeah, but the Danny baby. So yeah, he gives us Danny. He's Danny. I'm like, I'm like, who's Danny? And it's like the super friendly tech. Who's Danny? I'm like, oh, that's baby Huey. So I put you in as baby Huey. I got a lot of Dannys on my phone, but there's only one baby Huey. Baby. Oh, yeah, oh my God. Interview over. We don't even need to have Done. to go any Gauntlet further. Thrown. You just blew his head off. I assumed you changed your phone number because of baby Huey. <laughs> I figured that was, that was the cause. Well, so that's what happened. So Chassie, you know the backstory. So yeah. last Friday, we were over at Chase center getting ready for metallica's yes. concert and we're doing the whiskey tasting and all that stuff and earlier in the day i text or the night before i texted jericho and i was like hey you're in town next week you want to do something i didn't hear back all night and i was like devastation Uh-oh. devastation <laughs> he, yeah he's just avoiding me i'm like oh crap and then i sent a dm Ghosting. i sent a dm <laughs> you know, on, I, I sent a dm to you yeah, just so, out of, that out of was coincidence the funny part. so yeah so i sent a dm on twitter and then later on the day, you right. sent me a DM on Instagram. Instagram, right. And I was like, oh, my God. And then, you you know, we exchanged. And, and that's the thing. I changed my number last year. It's like the first time I kind of purged everything for the last 20 years. Really? And I still have people like 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 Phil Demel. He lives here in San Francisco. He's like, dude, like, do you not like? He emails me. Don't you like me anymore? I've been texting you for like three months. I'm like, dude, let's change my number. Sorry, I forgot to tell you. If I text someone that was my friend for like two or three months, I would text a mutual friend and say, hey, did so-and-so change his number? But some uh, people, there's probably some people out there that think I'm still mad at them because I haven't texted back. I should have texted so like, hey, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. exactly. Now, but we're Chris, all here. It worked out. Cool. Are you aware that he calls you his celebrity bestie? Did you know I that? I did not know that. Okay, so I got to fill you in because there's actually like, you're getting in the ring with somebody. You don't even know this yet. <laughs> I've, already, I've already planned this out. <laughs> okay. so, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, it's on me. So he calls you his celebrity bestie. So my celebrity besties, I have two, are both stand-up comedians, Joe Coy and Kamal Bell from CNN. They have both agreed to do a celebrity bestie battle with you. Now, it's going to take two of them to go up against you, obviously. Maybe one on top of the other. I don't know. I but love are how, you in? I love how people just say, I want to have a wrestling match. I say, no, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work that way. We'd be better off having a stand-up comedy off than Ooh, a wrestling match. I get, I, think you'd still I, get, I get this all the time. Uh, and and I, I specifically shy away from it. Anytime they ask me to do something on... You know, on, on a TV show or whatever, it's like just go in the ring with them and like hit them with a chair. It'll be great. It's like no, it's not great. It's never great. It always sucks <laughs> because there's an art form to it. It'd be like, hey, go on stage and play guitar with Metallica. It'll be great. Just go do it. Go do it. It's about the same. Mm-hmm. If you don't know how to play guitar, you're going to look like an idiot. And if you don't know what wrestling is, you look like an idiot. It's just like Dancing with the Stars. The thing about dancing is everybody, when they don't know how to do it, tries to be funny. Yeah. Same with wrestling. When you yeah. don't know how to do it, you go, I'm going to beat you. It just looks so stupid. So awkward. So I always just say, like, I remember one time they wanted us to do something when uh, with David Arquette on the George Lopez show. And David was a, a champion, WCW champion years ago. He's now back in wrestling. He's a great guy. He's, 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 he's just a lovely fella. A lovely fella. <laughs> and George was like, okay, our George's people, are you going to get in the ring? Like, no, no, we're not. Here's what we're going to do. 
We're going to have a, a, a sing-off. And we sang uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart. Oh, my God. I sang half. He sang half. We went back and forth. And it was like, great. It's like fun stuff. That's what you want to do. That's so you tell good. Joe Coy uh-huh. and uh, Hyper Kamel. McGee or whatever his name or Kamel, Kamel uh-huh. that yep. we'll sit down and we'll, we'll come up with some kind of a, a, we'll do an improv sketch or something like that. Be much that more I'm all over. I love that. That's I would my love style that right too. there. Yeah. Dude, that would be awesome. Okay, game now, on. Chris, I mentioned like in the intro, you're doing so many things. Like what? What motivates you to do all these things to be a part of so many worlds? And how do you how do you find that balance? The, the biggest one is is is, is I've told this before. You're a Renaissance when man. I was. Well, thank you. I always think a Renaissance man like a guy with like a, fl- a flowing. Yeah, like, like you're not a Renaissance fan. You're a Renaissance yeah, man eating a big turkey leg. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to be in a rock band and I wanted to be a wrestler since probably I was about, I'd say, 12 years old or maybe even a little bit younger and just decided that's what I was going to do with the innocence of, of being a kid. And then as you get older, everyone has, you know, opinions of, oh, you'll never do that or that's crazy or you're stupid. And I just early on said, why do I care? Or why do you care what I want to do? I don't care what you want to do. Just go do it. So I really got very motivated by that at a young age. And it's interesting because my kids are 16 and 13 and they might know what they want to do or they kind of, I knew what I wanted to do when I was like 12 years old and and it made it very easy for me to go through high school and get it through everything. Cause I know this is what my final goal is. So once I I, I made it in wrestling and then made it in in music, now you become dangerous because your self-confidence, I'll try anything if I feel I can do it Mm -hmm. because why would I bet against myself at this point? That's where the podcasting came from or writing books or you know, acting or radio shows or any of these other things that I do. It all stems from the fact of it sounds like something cool. I'll just give it a try. And that's kind of where, where it all comes from. Dude, that's so inspiring, man. I mean, it's amazing. I'm amazed at, like, how do you find the time? Like, because I work out every day. You obviously, even on the road when you're doing your rock thing, you got to stay in great shape. Like, how do you organize your day? Like, what does a Chris Jericho day look like? Well, when we're on tour, it's great because when you when you do, if we do a Fozzie show, it's like 90 minutes and it's pretty high intense that cardio. That is your workout almost, well, it really yeah. Is. Seriously. But we started doing this thing on, on, on the bus. Like, so you get into town and... You know, we're in town. What are you going to do? We're getting in at 11. We usually just sit in a parking lot at a Walmart. And about a week ago, we said, why don't we sit in a parking lot at a Planet Fitness, which now you have no excuse not to go work out because you're just sitting there anyways. If it's a Walmart, eh, I'm not going to go inside. Right. What do they got there? You know, yeah. there's all oh, socks are on sale. Um, but sitting in front of the Planet Hollywood or a Planet Fitness, it's such a, like you just have, have no excuse not to go in there. So that gives you a little bit. If you can get up early and train, which is what I've been doing the last year or so, mm-hmm. it, it takes your whole day into a different direction. And it gives you energy for that. It does. Day. It yeah. does. And so there's always press to do when we're on tour. And then, you know, we have a, a VIP thing. And so you're pretty busy, which is which is good, because the worst thing about traveling and being on the road is just sitting around doing nothing. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the way that the business is, is a sit, hurry up and wait. So when you actually have things to do, it makes your day go by a lot faster. Yeah. Wow. So, Chris, uh, right now it's a really busy month for you, the month of September. You're touring with Fozzie around the country. Even a few weeks ago, you had the show with Nickelback. Shows, How yeah. was that for you? Great. I mean, it's so funny. People just have this real hatred for Nickelback, except for the 10,000 fans that go to every show in every city. <laughs> oh, and the people who bought their 50 million That's albums. That's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's, 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 come it's, on. I, I had them They're on, awesome. I had them on my podcast on Talk is Jericho. They're great. They're, just, they're, they're, they're Midwestern Canadian guys. Yeah. They grew up in a small town in Alberta. And even they have a little bit of a complex. I'm sure when, when you have people telling you all the time that you suck, you're like, well, 
Do we really? Like, yeah. Obviously, they're a great rock and roll band. It was a great mix for us to tour with them. I really enjoyed it. Their was, drummer's a beast, by the way. Yeah, I was going to say, they're like, I've been to their shows yeah, and it's too. so much fun. Yeah. It's just everyone's jumping, dancing around. Like, I almost feel like they're kind of like the Bon Jovi of this generation as far as just hit song after it's hit funny, song. It's funny, and that's the thing. Like, we played with them the first night. I saw one of their set lists just happen to, like, you know, fall into the ground, and I walked by and looked at them like, wow, I forgot about that one, and I forgot about this one, and I forgot about that one. And there's a couple that I didn't know by title, mm-hmm. but when I watched the gig, I'm like, oh, I know that one. They, they literally yeah. have 20 songs mm-hmm. that you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was it was great playing with them. It was a great mix, and it kind of teed us up for we did Nickelback two weeks ago, and then we're doing Iron Maiden on Saturday. Like, that's a pretty good, uh, yeah. diverse good uh, selection of headliners <laughs> a- to AJ go with. AJ Kirsch is an unapologetic, huge, huge Nickelback fan. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes, he I, is. I am, too. I yeah. mean, I'll tell you what. Like I said, it was it was great to see them, and if they asked us to play with them again, we'd do it in a second. That's awesome. Uh, so I, wa- I want to ask you about, just in terms, because you said last time you were in here uh, with us, talking about Fozzie and everything, you, you had a line that I believe was that you're, you guys were a 15-year overnight success. Right. And so just reflecting now on the on the past year or so of all the success that Fozzie uh, has has had, you know, and really just exploding, just what, what has that been like and just how gratifying yeah, was that I mean, for you guys? I, I think it was really... Uh, when Judas the song came out and became kind of a, the, the elusive hit single that I think we're at 32 million views on YouTube or something like this, it puts it, things in a different world. And then Painless and Burn Me Out were both top tens following that up. Um, it just really took us to a different level. And people say, are you surprised? I'm not surprised because I knew it was going to happen. It just was the right place at the right time for the right band with the right group of songs. So the best part of it was we were ready for it. You know, when the, when the record exploded, we had a great rock and roll band that was very tight that had been playing for years. You know, like you said, a 15-year overnight sensation. So we were very prepared for all these successes and all these big opportunities, like, once again, playing with Nickelback or the, the Iron Maiden Stadium, which is I'll tell you the story in a bit. Like, to know that we're going to be doing a stadium with Iron Maiden, like, you can't be... A band that doesn't have confidence, you can't, because you'll get eaten alive oh, yeah. by by yeah. the fans, by the production. But like, we know exactly what we're doing. So when we go on stage with a band like that or Nickelback, we set up our stuff and take it off so fast. They're like, "What happened?" We have a crew that's completely knowledgeable, and they're like ninjas, and the band are like ninjas, and that comes from experience. We're not just a bunch of twenty-two-year-old kids like we got a hit song on the radio. Let's go play some rock and roll and smash some TVs and throw some <laughs> some bubbly against the wall. Like, <laughs> it, 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 that doesn't get you very far. Yeah. Uh, when you have Fozzie with with some experienced vets who are now getting to this next level and with nowhere to run, our new song that just came out, it's already a hit in five days. So that's from I don't know what the old adage is. I'm not freaking Confucius, but Success is luck plus preparation or some John BS Wooden like qu- that. Insert John Wooden quote. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is the quote, Bimbo Jimbo? Uh, it's, uh, it <laughs> is, it's, was it success is when uh, luck meets preparation or something That's like that? that. Oh, you're no Bimbo. He you're pulled smart. it out of his butt there. Good job. <laughs> so point being, when you have that experience and that respect, yeah. you know, it's like touring with the guys from Steel Panther. They're great guys. <laughs> with all the success they had, they're still very humble because they know yeah. Steel Panther as, as a concept as a project was their last chance. They were Hollywood musicians for years, LA Sunset Trip guys. They just never made it. And their last ditch effort was like, let's just go have some fun. We'll never make it. Who cares? Suddenly they make it huge. They're very humble and respectful because of it because they don't take it for granted. And we have the same attitude. With with Fozzie and all that success, and I mean, obviously in the, in the wrestling world, you achieve this just otherworldly second to none success. 
now with Judas and everything like that, do you feel almost that you're on another level where you can take more risks sort of in your wrestling career? It's like, hey, I'm sort of feeling this creatively and I'm just going to do it. Well, I mean, I think something that because I've been still doing some cool stuff in wrestling, I haven't been full time in the business since 2010. But you've been, yeah, I just pick and choose my one spots. Of the marquee. But you pick the right spots. So then, that's basically still what I'm doing because Fozzie was the priority. I know, I knew we could, we could, we could make it and get to the next step and continue to grow. And I think the potential we have is still endless. Um, I'd expect nothing less than, than arenas for us in the future, but you have to put the time in and you have to put the, the work into it. So wrestling, I've gotten to the certain level, but you still, if you want to stay on top, still have to put your, your, your focus in that as well. And that's why you see like last year, I think I had five matches maybe mm-hmm. this year. Now that AEW is about to start in October, I've had two matches this year. Uh, you know, the most that I'll have at any given year is 15 or 20, whatever. It's not a lot, but it's still if you if you're picking your spots, it's enough to still make a big difference uh, as we still continue to build the, the Fozzie machine as well. So let's just look at at Fozzie right now. You, you just mentioned the new single "Nowhere to Run." Music video just came out. Can you just tell us a little bit where that video was shot? It was very cool with like all the TVs yeah. behind you. You know, we, we got uh, kind of picked up by Sony last year. Congrats on that! Which thank you. And like we've never had the major label machine behind us. We've very much do it yourself. And mm-hmm. all the great labels we've been on in the past, we still were very focused on doing it our way. Yeah. Um, with Sony, and then starting to work with the producer that we're working with, Johnny Andrews, is kind of you give up a little bit of the control. And Sony said, we want a new song out in time for the tour, which we put together a whole tour around the Maiden show. Okay. Because you don't just do a fly date for an Iron Maiden stadium show, right? (laughs) You need to be, you know, so we had a couple weeks beforehand, then a couple weeks afterwards to get back to Atlanta where we're based. And um, they said, we want a single out for, uh, for the tour. And that's how they do it now. It's not so much worried about the album. Like, when's the album coming out? I don't know. We have no other songs done. They're being written. Okay. But... Nowhere to run. They wanted it. They put it out. They're going to put a push behind it. And of course, they wanted to do a lyric video. And I said, lyric videos don't work. We got to do a video video. So we came up with the concept Rich did of, of the TVs kind of flashing. And um, we wanted kind of just a live type of a thing. Because what do you do in a video nowadays that hasn't been done yeah. a thousand times yeah. before? Yeah. And even with this, we're like, we got all these TVs. This is great. It's awesome. And some guys like, yeah, that's uh, Def Leppard, Armageddon. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> really? And we go watch it. And like, you know, 30 years ago, they did kind of a, a primitive version of what yeah, we yeah, did. Yeah. But that's okay. I mean, it's it's the Judas video is based on a Guns N' Roses video, yeah. Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. You just update it, and there's only five original ideas in, in music anyways. You just continue to uh, make them better and, and, and kind of update them. So, yeah, we put the video out, and it's already, it came out less than a week. It's doing about 50,000 views a day, and that all that stuff... They take they take into account how many streams have you had, how many views do you have of your video. All that matters when you're trying to get uh, ads on rock radio, which are very hard to get the, the elusive ads. So they look at all of these different uh, aspects of what kind of streams and views you're getting, and that will influence them. So when your video is getting watched, it helps. And the good news is there's no clowns in it. I know, thank God, not this one. And I appreciate you for that. (laughs) I really do. Um, I look at you as, I mean, you are just to every piece of your body, to the core of who you are. You're a performer. And you have multiple different aspects of your career that have got to be really tough. Let's talk about the difference about performing in the wrestling world and then performing in the rock and roll world, being a front man versus what you do in the wrestling world. Do you approach them differently? I think there's probably more similarities than differences because it's all based around connecting with the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could connect with an audience in front of a live crowd, yeah. you'll always have a fan base mm-hmm. because if people are excited about what you do, 
uh, and are intrigued by what you do and, and maybe living vicariously by what you do, they'll follow you, um, whether that's music or wrestling or stand-up comedy or you know whether you're a stage actor or whatever it may be. So I think when, when I first started wrestling, I wanted to be the, the ultimate rock and roll front man in a wrestling ring because I didn't think they had that, right. like a David Lee Roth or Paul Stanley or Jagger or whatever, Bruce Dickinson. And then once we started Fozzie, I wanted to take the same elements that I was using for for the Y2J character, which was basically kind of a party host and a rock and rock star type guy. Mm-hmm. Take those elements that I stole from music, put into wrestling, and take them back into music again. So you approach them a little bit differently in that they're two different roles. Right. If, if I'm an actor, you know, I'm playing Captain Jack Sparrow in one, and I'm playing, you know, whatever the detective's name was in uh, Murder on the Orient Express yeah. in the other one. <laughs> Hercule Poirot or whatever the hell yeah. it was. Um, you know, there's two separate characters that you play, but elements are the same because wrestling and music, uh, especially rock and roll, have very loyal and fanatical uh, sure. uh, fans. Yeah. And uh, it's a very high energy, intense form of entertainment. So um, you feed off that. A great gig to me and a great match to me is not, you know, uh, if you botched something or if you sang some wrong notes or if you had some technical difficulties. I don't care about that. What was the crowd doing at the end of the show? Did they enjoy the performance? Were they cheering at the end? Were they booing at the end in the right way if you're wrestling? If you get that sort of reaction, that's always the best matches and best shows for me. That connection, I love that. I want to keep it on the wrestling track here for a minute. Uh, you mentioned AEW and just sort of uh, how many dates you expect to work with them. What it, what has the experience been like so far? I mean, this is this is a new frontier even for you, Chris Jericho, who's done everything in the wrestling business. What is, what has it been like for you so yeah. far? Founding, I think that's probably one of the reasons why I wanted to do it because it is uncharted territory. It's never been done before uh, by any company. There's never been a company that started with so much pomp and circumstance at the highest level like we have. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, when the whole thing started, the concept started. And and when I showed up there and kind of signed on the dotted line, it became legit. So um, it's it's pretty exciting. We don't know what's going to happen. I know what would happen if I went back to WWE. It'd be fun. It'd be great. Have have some fun times. But WWE is WWE. It's never going to go away. AEW, if we do things right could be lasting for years and years and years and be a legitimate alternative to to the system of WWE, which is completely opposite to the attitude and ideas that we have. It's it's super rad. And one thing I, I just have to follow up on is uh, working in the NBA outside of the, the radio world, seeing, you know, wrestling ads on TNT yeah. in 2019 <laughs> is super surreal. And sort of on that track, you know, you were in WCW maybe got to a certain level in WCW thought you could get even higher. And now to be going back to TNT as the world champion, what, what is that? Is that sort of like a, I, I imagine sort of like Caesar coming, coming down like back to like sort of the promenade. I, I don't notice a lot of that stuff. Like people were pointing out to me that it was TNT and I was like, yeah, that's cool. Right on. It's like, well, you were there 20 years ago. And I'm like, really? I, I don't think I could have told you that Nitro was on TNT. It just kind of, I thought it was on TBS. <laughs> but, so people are like, is it like coming home? I'm like, well, no. Like I've been working for, for, for Vince, Vince for 20 yeah. years. But it is, I mean, there's a lot of poetic justice there, I guess. Totally. Somebody pointed out that when WCW went down, the very first undisputed champion was me. And now that the competitor is rising on TNT where WCW ended and now the, the champion is me. And it's like a, kind of a... The symmetry is... Yeah, yeah. I think somebody said, a friend of mine was like, pretty soon they're going to have to change the history of wrestling to cool stuff that Jericho did. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you're okay with that. Yeah. But I mean, it's great to have that sort of longevity and that sort of influence. uh, 
it, it, it's very cool. And like I said, I, I, I'm not a full-time wrestler because I think body type-wise and, you know, um, just just I think it's smart to do a handful of matches a year and pick your spots and do it the right way. And But also, too, I mean, you can't teach experience. So that's one thing that I have that no matter what happens – I can take it and make it good. So that all adds up as well. Well, so Chris, you just mentioned that, you know, Jericho's got to do a lot of fun things. And you just mentioned, you know, like, do you ever take a moment to just reflect on kind of your legacy as far as what you've been able to accomplish? And like, how much does it mean to you right now in this moment in your life that with AEW and all the momentum it has right now, that at this point in your career, you could help get a new company over? Like, that must be so rewarding, the potential thought of like, if we can make this company last for yeah. years to come, like, as you said, you could you just stay in WWE, you know, yeah, do yeah. your thing there and be fine with it. But like a nice little, like just, you know, the, the nice, like bow, yeah, bow on things. It, it was a cool kind of opportunity because to, to, to get a, a company rolling mm-hmm. in wrestling, cause you hear it all the time. I'm going to start a wrestling company. It's like, okay, sure. Whatever <laughs> you need uh, three things. You need money, which the Khan family has. Mm-hmm. And they also have a, a Tony Khan's got such a passion for mm-hmm. wrestling which you can't replace. He understands the business and most corporations don't. And if you don't understand wrestling, you're going to lose your money right away mm-hmm. Two, uh, you have to have a, a great TV deal, which we got with TNT. Mm-hmm. Like that's a great TV deal. Yeah. It's a stronger network than USA network is. Excuse me. And three, uh, you have to have six to eight legit main eventers that you can base your show around. And even better if they're fresh that no one's ever seen that adds to it as well. And you talk about a 15 year overnight success. That's what some of the guys in AEW, when you're talking about Omega and, and Young Bucks and, and Cody's been around, but not like now, mm-hmm. Hangman and MJF. These are guys that no one's ever seen before that chose not to go to WWE. These are not cast-offs. It's like, oh, this is kind of a... Like, these guys said, no, we don't want to go to WWE. We want to continue to do things our way. We don't want to do it in that system. So I think it's going to surprise a lot of people. When you go, oh, my gosh, who are these guys? Like, they're great, and we've never heard of them. Or are they the Japanese? No, no, no. They're from California and Winnipeg and New Jersey and, <laughs> you know, uh, Atlanta. Like, what? Yeah. Why have they never been on WWE? Because they chose not to. And that's kind of, I think, the real secret as to why AEW has a chance to, to, to really go places. God, Chris, I'm so impressed with your career. It just amazes me what you take on. Two-part question. Have you always been this confident? Like, were you like a three-year-old that's like, yeah, I'm going to take on the world? Like, was that uh-huh. you? Um, No, but like I said, like, I just really loved rock and roll and I loved wrestling and I thought that'd be really cool to do those. I didn't I didn't have any any like analyzing parts of my brain to go, well, you know, Chris, that's right. not very easy to do, especially like in nineteen ninety. Well this was in the eighties when I wanted to do it, but nineteen ninety when I started, like how do you how do you become a wrestler? How do you yeah. put together a band? Like what do you do? Right. Um so I just had I had a confidence that like I if I, I really want to do this and until I show myself that I can't I'm going to continue it, whether it's, okay, last month I had, I worked one match. Mm-hmm. This month I have two matches. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And last month I made 30 bucks, and this month I made 60 bucks. Well, that's moving forward. So you're just building little bit. I think so. And then, yeah. and then, like I said, there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. I don't think I'm arrogant, but I'm super confident, especially now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, I always was a showman, too. Like, even when I was a kid, I was doing my own radio shows, and when <laughs> video cameras became a thing, we'd always make our own movies, and I was the the star of the high school play, but I chose to be the bad guy. I yeah. thought it would be more fun. <laughs> yeah, Oliver, Oliver Twist was the uh, play and Bill Sykes was the bad guy. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I just realized early on that like I remember I went to journalism school because 
I had to kill some time before I was old enough to go to wrestling school, so I got a degree in journalism. And I they used to send me out the local paper to like, okay, go do the the water polo meet, and then there's a there's a there's a C, CFL fashion show. Go cover that. And <laughs> I realized like I don't want to be behind the scenes. I want to be in the fashion You're meant show. To be, yeah. Right, yeah. So that all kind of stemmed. Like I have no other choice. I'm not going to be a banker. I'm not going to be a you know working downtown. You know doing whatever. I have to perform and if that means you know playing an acoustic guitar at a starbucks for you know 50 cents or someone throws a change in there well then i'll do that so that could think that's where it started from i had i gave myself no backup plan making me all teary-eyed you should be my life coach i know i wrote a book the yes. last yeah. book i wrote yeah it's phenomenal thank uh, you yeah it's it kind of a self-help thing a book called no is a four-letter word and i believe that that no is like a curse word because people throw that word out and it hurts people's feelings no no because it's a lot easier to say no than it is to say yes. Mm-hmm. And I think people accept that very easily. And I never accept no for an answer. And I'm not talking about no from you ask, you know, a girl the high school prom, she says no, and you stalk her. That's something I'm talking about. I'm talking about just in life in general. There's always a way to get something done if you want to do it. There always is a way. The easy response is just say, oh, no, it's going to be too hard. Bullshit. Sorry, beep it. You have to you, you have to, 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 to look at ways why things can happen rather than look at the easy way why things is not gonna happen. These are it's, the things I'm trying to teach my son. Yeah. Right? You know, when you're looking at your kid and those are the things you want to instill in them. Yeah, exactly. I, I cannot stress enough to everyone out there watching this or listening to this that to read your book No is a four letter word because I, I couldn't put it down. I read it in a day and it, it truly inspired me to make some changes in my own career and everything like that and just moving forward and I, I love the chapter, sort of what you were alluding to, where I think you were talking to a friend about um, if, if you could make a show or not. And it's like BS. Like, if you want to do something, you'll find a way to get it yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. Like, everything else is just an excuse. You go to the Fozzie show, ah, I got to exactly. work the next day. And yeah. I don't know. It's like, well, no. Uh, yeah, I got to work the next day at seven. And who cares? When am I going to get the chance to see this band again, whether it's Fozzie or Trivium or Iron Maiden or whatever? And, and I have to take a bus while well, then you go take a bus and yes. then you go to the show and you go after. That was great. I'm really glad I went. You always are glad you went. Yes. Right. Always I, find a way. If you I want always, to do something, you make it happen. I always say, choose the bigger <laughs> life. Like when you're asked a question, what what makes the bigger life? Go to the show. Yeah. You know, take on the thing. Start the yeah, business. Do, whatever do, it do is. Do stuff. Make things happen. Yeah. Like the, the concept of the book was uh, based around principles that I had learned from. Family, famous people, fictional characters, and I mean, the, the, I think it starts off with the Mike Damone principle, which yes. is the <laughs> Fast Times at Ridgemont High, the ticket scalpers. Like, no matter where you are, that's the place to be. Yeah, <laughs> look at this. Isn't this great? If you walk through life going like, this is the best place in the world to be, right here on Baby Huey's show. Like, I seriously, I don't want to be anywhere else. This is the place to be. And I think when he's he's looking, he's getting <laughs> you, you bought you bought fifty dollars worth worth of effing film. And you, you don't, don't even, even own a camera. camera. <laughs> Come on, Matt. <laughs> But all that stuff matters. Like if you if if you go through the day with a positive slant, it's just gonna make everything better. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna do it like you gotta take the garbage out. Well, this is I take the garbage out. Well, take the garbage out. Go enjoy the the midnight air. Take your dog with you. Whatever you gotta take the freaking garbage out. So do it with with a good attitude. And it'll, it'll make you feel better. So good. I'm buying the book today. I, <laughs> it's <laughs> happening. Is it on Audible? By the way. Yeah, it is. I actually read that one. Oh, I'll tell good, you what, man. Because I love when authors read their own books. The one before that, uh, I got in a fight with the company that that bought. I was like, "This these guys are idiots. Like, I'm not doing it." Yeah. And so they like got some Shakespearean actor. No, to do it. no. But he didn't know like kind of the slangs and stuff. Like, what's Ray Mysterio's finishing move? 
The 619. Right. Yeah. He was calling it the 619. Oh, oh. And Ray Mysterio went for the 619. So oh my God. all I'm getting are all these texts from people like, oh, he's mispronouncing the name. Oh, and he's 619. Like, okay, I'm going to read the book. This was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Sitting there, reading a freaking book. Do you know how long it takes like to read a hours? book? eight hours? Yeah. 12 hours. Yeah. Oh, that's brutal. And you read it. And like, if you say like, and then he went to the book. I'm sorry, I got to do it again. And then he went to the store. Oh, got to do it again. And then you start getting mad at yourself. And it's like. Dude, it was, it, that's hard. That was yeah. the hardest one. So you better buy it on Audible. I'm, I'm doing <laughs> it right now. Time. Pick it up my phone. I'm doing it doing right it. now. But I was just going to say, just to go off what Chris says, I do agree. Just like, Chassie, you know, last Saturday I did that Metallica fan club party. He was scared to death. I was scared to death. I was yep. by myself. 400 Metallica fans. You hosted it? I, I did a, I hosted a panel with some like legendary thrash guys from the scene. Like who? Um, Craig LeCicero used to be in a band Forbidden yep. Evil. Um, also, Will Carroll, the current drummer of Death Angel. Oh, nice. And Harold O who's taking all the legendary yep. photos, murder in the front row right. book. And the guy putting it on asked me to moderate this. And we were the second panel after the Cliff Burton panel. Wow. Ray Burton was there. Mike Borden from Faith No More. Like all these heavy hitters <sighs> are on before me and all the Metallica fans from around the world in this small room are staring at him. You do I, not want to make a mistake in that I room. I was sweaty and I was like, oh, oh my God, these guys, are gonna, if I say the wrong thing, they eat me alive. I was tempted to like, come up with the excuse just to leave. <laughs> But I stuck it out. I did it. I'm so happy I did it. And as you say, it's just those moments where it's like, I don't want to regret it. That was the yeah, main thing. If you didn't do it, you'd always feel bad. And the thing is, too, you're you're a fan. You're a legit yeah. fan. So you're not going to say anything that people are going to jump and kill you for. Yeah. You know, that's one thing that's great about 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 rock and roll, heavy metal specific. If you're a fan of a band, especially yeah. now in the 80s, if you were a Metallica fan and you liked, you know, Warrant, that's grounds for death. Yeah. <laughs> now it's like if you're a metal fan, yeah. like. You're, you're, everybody's cool. Like, there's yeah, yeah. no, there's not that delineage anymore of a, you're a poser, you're this or that. You're on the radio, you're a Metallica fan, it shows. I think, I bet you probably did a great job. I, I, I like to think so. We went, like, the the guy had to wave me, the, like, Indig. We had so much to talk about. So I'm just glad. And the guys were like, wow, you guys, you knew all that stuff? I'm like, yeah, I, I lived in the Bay Area my whole life, been yeah. a longtime fan. It just was coming yeah, to me. Exactly. So I was like, whew. I was like, Ooh. I'm good. I'm, I confidence comes well, in. Congratulations. Yep. We're, we're going to let you get out of here, Chris. You've been super generous with your time, but we, we have to ask you about the AEW World Heavyweight Championship and the sort of the whodunit heard around <laughs> the world with it with it being yeah, stolen. I mean, just And you turn that into such an incredible positive that I, I it was just like hats off. Like it was one of those things where it's like, was this planned? But I know it wasn't, but it was just, you really turned it into sure? a great positive. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's what I wanted. I mean, this is something I learned from Vince McMahon. Take a negative and turn it into a positive. And it's still one of the strangest stories. No no one really knows. And there's like, and this is no joke, there's literally FBI agents on this case. And the one thing that that, that pissed me off was when people, oh, Jericho lost the title. As if I just put it down like <laughs> yeah. like the absent-minded professor and like, Doing oh, shots. put my belt down over here and... <laughs> Well, they're not even just walking down the yeah. street. I'm going to put on this garbage. Oh, look, there's a birdie. Oh, where did it go? <laughs> it, it's a very strange story. And, and I, I couldn't even begin to tell it to you in 20 seconds because there's like 15 suspects. Not even kidding. Um, bottom line was when it happened, it, it was a potentially kind of an embarrassing situation. So take the negative, turn it to a positive, make a storyline out of it. And the worst part of it all was... We had so much great stuff going on when the stupid cops found it, or not even, sorry, rephrase that. When somebody turned it in, who found it on the side of the road, on a road, by the way, that was nowhere near the road that we drove down. Hmm, interesting. Right. And happened to turn it at the same time when the, when, the, when the owner of the limo company was in the station. I've got it all in film. Interesting. 
Anyways, I don't want to get into too much, but then the cops post a picture of them with the title and ruin the whole thing. We could have worked it for, you know what, yeah. whatever. Yeah, absolutely. It is what it is. And then that led right into the little bit of the bubbly thing, which is just the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> but it's I so mean, crazy there's over. There's literally, literally over a hundred memes, videos, gifts about a little bit of the bubbly. Like the, like the best one was uh, was the, I just saw the other day was uh, have you seen the, the Silence of the Lambs one? Yes, <laughs> yes. A census taker tried to test me once, Clarice. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a fine little bit of the bubbly. <laughs> Do you have a favorite one? Like that all- one was up there. Okay. The, the Jackson Five one. Uh, yeah. Blame it on the bubbly. The um, biscuit. I mean, I mean, the biscuit was great. I mean, the 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 it's like a Death Leopard one as well. The, right? Every there's yeah. every, there's a Queen one. I want it all. I want yeah. it. I want it all. I want a little bit of the bubbly. <laughs> um, it's just it's so stupid. Like it, what I loved about it the most, though, and I talked about it on Talk Is Jericho this week, is it made people get creative mm-hmm. and get off of their phones just staring into the into the abyss and getting onto their editing programs. I don't know how they did I don't have an editing program like that. And just using their creativity to put all of these really cool things together. And there was just one after another. Another great was the uh, just the gigolo. How many babies it bubbly? How many babies it it made people get creative and I, I like that. Uh, so uh and people are still sending them. At the peak, there was probably, was probably getting thirty or forty an hour. Jesus. Now you get two or three, but people are still doing it. And um, you know, you got to take advantage of that when it's hot. So Hell yeah. we made a T-shirt and sold a bunch of units, and there you go. <laughs> I, I can think of no better place to end this interview than with a little bit of the bubbly. So Chris Jericho, thank you so much for your time. Fozzy coming to Slims tonight. Get your tickets slimspresents.com. and you guys will be in Sacramento uh, tomorrow night as well. Correct? So that's going to be awesome. Sacramento tomorrow night, and then L.A. Uh, Bank of California Stadium for uh, opening for a little band called Iron Maiden. Kick ass, yeah. man! Yeah. Thank you so awesome. much. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Chris. By the way, I downloaded your book.